Hey, I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Okay, so before we get started on today's episode, I want to take a minute to shout out two of our new patrons. Yay! That's right. We've had two people join our super cool community of patrons since we recorded last. Those people are Suzanne S. and Jacob T. Yay! And they joined at the dispersionaries level, so they're the dispersion forces. Nice. Which, you know, that's what keeps geckos on walls. Yep. And that's what keeps the show going. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so um, thank you so much to Suzanne and Jacob for joining. You really have no idea how much it means to us to know that people are excited about the show and want to help keep it going. And if you want to shout out yourself, you can join our super cool community of patrons at patreon.com slash chem for your life. And uh, for those of you who have already joined, Jam and I are working on writing out our thank you notes and sending those out this week. But now let's switch gears and we're going to talk about today's episode. So this episode is a little bit different. We're going to be talking about just one research study or one paper that came out recently about mosquitoes. And this is a study that was sent to us by a listener, Mr. Hollis. Nice. And um, we, we visited his class before. Yeah. yeah. He's a high school chemistry teacher. He gets really excited about everyday life applications. He was one of the first teachers we'd heard from. Yeah, that's true. And so we're just going to highlight this one paper. And I don't know that we've done that before where we just choose one paper. Yeah, I don't know if we have it either. I feel like. One research study. There have been episodes where we specifically just focused on research you found. Yes. That is kind of new or whatever, but we have not, I don't think, just focused on one new thing. Yeah. So this is the latest installment in our mosquito saga. And I thought we only did three episodes, but you were looking back and actually, I guess we did four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We spent some time in mosquito <laughs> land, I guess. I totally forgot about that. So we did the original Why Do They Bite People, which we rebroadcasted last week. Uh huh. Mm hmm. And then why do they bite some people more than others? Mm -hmm. And then we did what about mosquito repellent? So what's D, what, yes. how do these things work? And then we did what are new ideas for mosquito repellents? Right. And that was like a, a little bit similar in the sense that you were looking at what research is happening right, right now, but as a few different sources. And that was the one I had forgotten about. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> <laughs> We've, I mean, it's rare for us to have done that many of something, you yeah. know, like most of our series are like, oh, we did two episodes or three episodes on this yeah or whatever. maybe only uh, recycling is as close i think right right oh that was a saga too yeah it was really <laughs> heartbreaking the recycling the mosquitoes one i remember learning how much indigenous knowledge had already been working to repel <laughs> this yeah. mosquito repellent and then we just kind of were throwing things at a wall yeah. and how funny it was to me that that the science was kind of, they were like, we don't know why, but it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember being really enjoying that part of that episode. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this episode is going to be going through one journal article or study. So when I say a paper like that, usually what I mean is when scientists do work, we'll write all of our work up and then we submit it to a journal to publish. And usually what will happen is there will be two to three peers who work in a similar field or the same field who review that paper and decide or like that's been submitted and decide, is this sound solid science with novel findings? And if so, then usually maybe it'll have a few edits or a round of edits and then it'll go on to be published in a journal. And that's what I like to call a paper. Okay. So when I say that it paper is really summarizing one or a series of research studies and it's published in a peer-reviewed journal article. Okay. So what the structure of this episode is going to be, I'm going to do a quick revisit of last week's episode. Very quick. If you want the more in-depth, go back and listen to that rebroadcast. Okay. Then I'm going to summarize the study, and then we're going to kind of take a little break, and we're going to do some chemistry lessons. Okay. So, and then kind of wrap up the study. So those chemistry lessons, though, most of them we have done before, so it's more like a chemistry review. Okay. But still will relate it back to the chemistry that we know and have talked about a lot. And if this is your first time listening, then, you know, you'll get an overview of those concepts as well. Okay. Okay. So to revisit last week's episode, actually, do you remember Jim, you had to answer a question about this in our 100th episode? Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I thought maybe I could quiz you on it again. Do okay. you remember the three things that mosquitoes look for humans based on? 
body temperature? Temp- body temperature, yep. Um, CO2. Yes. We breathe out. Yep. And like just odors yes. that humans give off. Uh-huh. Skin odor. So body temperature and CO2, most mammals have those, right? Right, right. Maybe many animals, not just mammals, have those. Yeah. But volatile organic compounds are the thing that sort of set humans apart. That was likely the thing that indicates to the mosquitoes that they want humans and not some other prey. Okay. And when we say volatile organic compounds or volatile organic molecules, what we mean is if you have some molecules on your skin that are easily turned into vapor that we can smell, that's the volatile part. Okay. I think sometimes we think of volatile as explosive, but in organic chemistry or in chemistry in general, volatile means it can be turned into a gas. Oh, okay. So then you can smell it. It'll hit those odoreceptors. And when we say organic molecules, those, I mean, I think technically to be an organic molecule, you just have to have one carbon present. Okay. But a lot of these have a carbon backbone, like lots of carbons make up the base and then they have little attachments on them. Okay. So that's the background of why mosquitoes seem to be attracted to humans. Okay. And then we also talked about why some humans are more attractive to mosquitoes than others based on like that person. Sometimes they're more attracted to other times. Do you remember what things those were? I feel like I remember the body temperature thing can vary based on people, including like pregnant women. Yes. Um, not necessarily body temperature. That could be part of it, but also they could, their breath volume doubles. Right, right. So oh, yeah. we don't know which one of the factors makes pregnant people more attractive, right. I don't think. And I guess you could you could make that same case about people who are just smaller and have more lung capacity or something like that than yeah. people who are bigger. Like, yeah, we don't know. If you could see through the eyes of a mosquito, there'd probably be people who just are a much more CO2 coming out Yeah. and people who have a little less. And if you're trying to make a choice then one looks better than the other one. Right. I feel like, did we talk about that the volatile organic molecules, those just also vary from person to person quite a bit? They can vary from person to person. So what? Um, I probably asked the question badly, but I know they did a study where they had several women in these huts with a mosquito net and they tried to see which huts had more mosquitoes at the end of the night and they followed them overnight. Um, and then also the thing they talked about was alcohol consumption. Oh, so the same yeah. person before and after drinking alcohol, and we didn't know, did that change the volatile organic compounds? Did that change the body temperature? Did that change the CO2? Um, not sure about that. I also found a study recently that says if they have malaria, there's a point within the malaria infection where they're more attractive to mosquitoes, which seems terrible because that means mosquitoes are eating the malaria blood and then spreading. Yeah, that's <laughs> Which right. Which maybe is the point of malaria. I don't know. Yeah. Or but maybe just explains its, yeah. Prevalence and association right. with mosquitoes. Yeah, something like that. So we know that some humans may be more attractive to others based on if they're pregnant or not. Maybe the same human could be more attractive if it has alcohol consumption. And then it seemed like there were some studies that indicated that this some people were just in general more attractive to others, but there wasn't a lot of evidence for why. Mm-hmm. So that's what this new study addresses. One thing I think I remember us talking about, mm-hmm. that's a common theory, but doesn't seem like it has been proven at all. It's just the mm-hmm. blood types thing. Yes. People seem to be out there in the world just convinced that blood types makes a huge difference. But it does not. But it doesn't. No. And But other things definitely do. Yes. Which we did talk about. Yes. But. So blood type seems to be, yeah, a very common, you know, I don't know why, but a very common misconception. So I'm glad you reminded me of that. Because then we, even after the episode, somebody asked about that as well in a and r I think. All the times, I think almost maybe say nine out of 10 times that I've brought this episode up to people in real life, it's because they'll say something like that to me. Oh, really? <laughs> the blood type thing is very prevalent. I'm surprised. <laughs> but the other day, it was maybe like, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, a friend of ours was like, I just always get bit more frequently. I mean, I do have type, you know, whatever blood and blah, blah. And I was like, "Eh, um, actually, (laughs) like you, you may still get bit more than everybody else, but (laughs) don't worry about your blood type. Well, and I will say that 
I guess what I'm about to tell you, there's the correlation idea, but not causation. So right. with the study we're about to talk about, they find something that consistently correlates to the people who are more attractive. But we don't know. I mean, I guess it could be blood type. There's no right. evidence that there is, but there's also no evidence that there isn't, right? right. It's like it's been completely disproven right. forever. Yeah, and ever. so yeah. it could be that it turns out that somebody with this blood type does have this thing that makes them more attractive. We just don't know that yet. Right. So right. people talk about it like we do know it yet, but we don't know it yet. So right. it, that could be, it might not be, we don't know. Science hasn't, science hasn't gotten around to addressing that, that I've seen. Yeah. But it's definitely not in the initial attractor, which is the CO2, the temperature and the skin odor, unless your blood type does something to those three things. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only way I could see blood type being a deciding factor. Yeah. And we haven't like completely disproven the possibility that people with certain blood types just smell worse. <laughs> yeah. You know? Maybe and, so. <laughs> and mosquitoes like that. So. Yeah. Mosquitoes like that. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea that you could basically say science has not disproven blah, blah, blah. Yes. And then you can say any nonsense you want to. <laughs> and it just sort of sounds a little bit smarter because you said science has not disproven. Right. <laughs> it's almost like you had to go look that up and make sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it might be that science just never tried to because it was just silly. Yeah. Silly. And science and has not disproven that <laughs> people who drink coffee black are better, but yeah, I mean, yeah. we just don't know that yet. Yeah. We don't know that yet, <laughs> but don't go out and do that unless you're, it's obviously you're kidding because yeah, just then kidding. it's funny and it's great, but it, otherwise it's, it, that is what we call the internet. <laughs> that is what we call the internet. <laughs> and also, I don't drink coffee black, so I'm not in favor of that interpretation. Right, right. I'll send, you some, I'll send you some articles, <laughs> some journal articles. Uh, okay, so that's what this study is all about today, is about why are some people more attractive than others? And also, are they even consistently more attractive than others? Or is this just sort of like, like a confirmation bias type situation. Right. And I remember both you and I talking about how we don't really experience a lot of mosquito. Yeah. Like we'll be with other people and they'll complain and we're like, what? Yeah. That didn't happen to us. Yeah. So, well, it turns out that is scientifically probably likely that we do consistently attract mosquitoes less than other people. Okay. So that's what this whole study is about is addressing this idea that are some people more attractive to mosquitoes than others. And I'm going to say this a lot in this episode, the word attractive. And when I say that, I mean attractive to mosquitoes. So Jam just called me out and we had to stop and re-record because <laughs> I said attractive multiple times. And it sounded like I just met people who look better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also when I was telling Mason about this episode, sometimes I test them out on him, you know? Yeah. I did the same thing. And he goes, oh, so people who are hotter. <laughs> so, yes. And then you said, yes, body temperature-wise. Yes, exactly. No, not body temperature. That's not what we're finding. Don't make any assumptions, Jim. Okay, sorry. So when I say attractive in this episode, I mean attractive to mosquitoes. And that way I don't have to say it every single time. Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit like cumbersome to say each time yes slows you down that makes so, sense that's the let's just all agree that that's what i mean but you could and don't do this you could cut me saying just attractive at one point and then post it on the internet and spread misinformation so i could do that <laughs> don't be that guy <laughs> that's just why that's why melissa doesn't cross me it's like <laughs> there's all things i could do there is yeah jim has <laughs> lots of recordings of me saying things that i probably wouldn't want on the internet like yeah. curse words or who knows what okay yeah. And I mean, likewise, I have just as many like incriminating things recorded of me, but. But I know. don't have access to those. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this new study came out and it was done in the lab of Dr. Leslie Vosshall, I think is the way you pronounce it. She seemed to be the, the principal investigator of the lab. So this is a fun chance to talk about how labs work. Usually in research groups or research labs, there's a what they call a PI, a primary investigator, a principal investigator. And that person is the person who has the PhD and works at that university. And they usually get funding by writing grants. And they, so they have money to fund their projects. Okay. So they write grants to foundations that award money. And that's how they have enough money to buy molecules or whatever they need to buy. Yeah. Buy for organic labos buy like organic solvents, buy the molecule, the specific molecules we might need, buy uh, equipment we might need. And then they also might pay your salary or something like that. Okay. So when I was in grad school, my boss, my primary investigator, that's the person who did, who ran our lab, who started it, had the research ideas, all of that. Uh -huh. Now my new place where I have a postdoc, 
there's a principal investigator, a primary investigator, the PI, that's my boss. And then I, as a postdoc, work for him. And I sort of am like in between a grad student and him, right? So I have my PhD. I've learned about what some of the basics of our field are. I've conducted independent research with a little bit of mentorship. And now I'm in a place where I can do that a little bit more independently, less hands-on help needed than a grad student maybe. Right. And I can also serve to help out the grad students. Right. Right. And so a lot of times when a postdoc comes to a lab, they'll get a specific project or they get to design a project that they're interested in. Okay. So this project that we're going to talk about, it seems to be based on the paper, the primary project of Dr. Maria Elena de Obaldia. So she is a postdoc just like me. And, um, she also has a Twitter where she tweeted about this paper Nice. So we'll retweet that when this episode comes out and you can go follow her because I'm sure she's going to keep doing a lot of really cool work there. So in the paper, they stated, I'm going to say they, because it's the authors, because usually there's the main person who works on the paper or the project, and Uh then there are other people who help. So in this case, the postdoc probably headed up this project to a degree. And then it seemed like she had grad students that were working with her on it and maybe even some undergrad researchers. So When I say they, I mean all the people listed as authors on the paper who contributed to the study. Okay. So they stated that throughout this study, which lasted more than three years, they conducted more than 2,300 behavioral trials on these mosquitoes. Oh my gosh. I know. That's so many. Seriously. I can't even comprehend that. I know. Isn't that wild? And that's part of why I wanted to share about this work. It shows so much about how much work goes into just one paper published and how much those scientists really have worked with this material oftentimes to come to the conclusions that they've come to. Yeah. And so also I think sometimes people will be more like in admiration of people who have a lot of papers published, but this paper has so much work put into it, but it's only one paper for three years of work. Right. So the number of papers published isn't everything. Sometimes it's the quality. Yeah. And this paper was highlighted in Nature, which was not where it was published, but Nature highlighted it and so did Chemistry and Engineering News. So it's a big deal that, (laughs) you know, it's a long-term study and people are really excited about it. Yeah, yeah. So it focused on what, if any, odors could be making it to where mosquitoes were consistently attracted to some people more than others. Okay. So they didn't look at body temperature. They didn't look at CO2. They only looked at odors because they found that if you suppress the CO2 detection, right, that people still were being attractive to mosquitoes. So there's more than just the CO2. And they did have a two-part approach where they looked at some genetics where they were suppressing some genes, some sensors that the mosquitoes had. And then they did this other part that I'm going to talk about more. That genetics part very genetics heavy, a little bit over my head. I got the general idea. They basically breeded some mosquitoes to not have genes which detect the molecules they suspected of like being the thing that drew them to. And although I think it was a weaker ability to detect, they were still able to tell which humans should have been more attractive. So it seemed like basically they found there's a lot of fail safes (laughs) in their genetic code to be able to find the more attractive humans. Yeah. They find a way. They find a way. <laughs> what's the what's the Jurassic Park quote? Nature yeah. finds a way. I think or life finds a way. Life finds a way. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. So uh, that was interesting, but a little bit more focus on the genetics. Okay. So the other part was about identifying attractiveness to mosquitoes, and they tried to develop like an, a score to see how some people are attractive versus others. Okay. And it has several parts, but. First, they did a pilot study to compare the odor of three humans who maybe had varying level of mosquito attractiveness throughout these trials. So, and I looked up how they did this because I was like, are they just letting these people get bit by mosquitoes? That seems rude. But it seems like (laughs) they, (laughs) and these people would have had to agree to participate in the study. So, you know, and it's approved most likely by, anytime you have human subjects, it has to be approved by this uh, internal review board that makes sure that you're not harming humans. Yeah, yeah. So what they did was have a fan, it seemed like, or some way to generate wind that blew the odors to to an area where the mosquitoes were attracted to, not to the people themselves. Got it, got it. That was what I got from the paper. Okay. That's so funny because imagine like those things were in place and it was like, okay, these scientists, 
if camped out across the street from, you know, this coffee shop or something like that. Start releasing those mosquitoes and they just have like these like binoculars and stuff. They're watching which humans are. and then all these humans that are just drinking their coffee and eating their brunch are like, What? What's going well, on? Well, actually there? <laughs> there are some trials, there are some experiments like that that don't have to be approved by IRB. It's not when you mess with the environment though. You're allowed to be in an environment and observe people in a public study and in a public nice. setting and study them. Okay. Okay. But if you're releasing the mosquitoes, then now you're yeah, doing something bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've genetically modified some mosquitoes and you're releasing yeah. them into the public. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. For yes. a good reason. <laughs> and that's more like observing humans. That's more like psychology research than mm. it would be like mm. about, about mosquitoes. So. Right. But I imagine like people sticking, cause I kept talking about the arms. So I imagine people sticking their arms in a, in like a plastic box and then the mosquitoes who were like being released and I was like, that seems unethical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then I found out that they, I looked for that specifically and realized they were talking about like passing wind over the skin to like put the odors at a specific place. Got it. Okay. So that was kind of the first part. They did this pilot study with the actual human's arms, but not letting the mosquitoes bite the arms. Yes. And saw where the mosquitoes were more attractive and they found that, or where they were more attracted to, I guess I should say. Uh-huh. And they found that those three humans did seem to have varying levels of mosquito attractiveness throughout the trials. So that's great. So they now have confirmed this idea that these humans seem to have different levels of mosquito attractiveness. Okay. So, and they, they sort of had them compete against each other. Uh (laughs) I imagine like (laughs) a, I don't know what the vibe of the lab was like throughout the study, but every time they talked about, the competitions, I imagine like a March Madness bracket situation <laughs> yeah. where people are like rooting for one over the other. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know the vibe of their lab, but that was like a funny thing to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so they had them compete against each other and they found, you know, a, someone who is strongly attractive, medium attractive and weakly attractive to mosquitoes. Okay. So they're just doing this as the person is naturally in their natural state. In their natural state. So then they kind of wanted to see if they could get the odor of human skin away from the humans themselves so that they had more freedom to do a lot of trials. Mm-hmm. And so they did this by having them wear nylons on their skin okay. for um, six hours. So they like put basically pantyhose is what oh. we call them or like a, they're sometimes called nylons. That's what they're made out of. Right. On their arms or t- sometimes they're tights, but I feel like tights have also taken on a new meeting lately. Yeah, yeah. So whatever you call those, the things you have to wear on your legs going to church when you're a little kid is what <laughs> yeah. I thought of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, same, same. Yeah, definitely. So they would wear those on their arms for um, six hours and then they would compare, you know, the actual human arm to the nylon and see if they were roughly equally attractive, statistically the same. Okay. And they found that they were. Okay. So that way the humans didn't have to be there. Right. So this opens up a whole new potential set of experiments that they can do a lot. Right. Where there are not humans present, you know, that they can test a lot of different things. Yeah. And not have to worry about like the mosquitoes actually biting or not or whatever. Yeah. Suddenly you don't have to try to get the mosquitoes off in time or something like that. Yeah. Whatever the, whatever the issue is. Yeah. So... They um they did a lot of controls too. They compared the worn nylons to the actual human odor. They compared two worn nylons from the same person to each other to make sure there wasn't a difference mm. for any reason. They compared a worn nylon to a non-worn nylon. You know, they did all the tests to sort of make sure that the mosquitoes were being attracted to the odor that got imbued into the nylon while the person was wearing it. Got it. And they found, yes, these are a good substitute for actual human skin. Nice. And then we don't have to worry about CO2 or body temperature. We're just able to look at only the odors. Right. You literally eliminate those two, not just like by genetically modifying mosquitoes and not seek those things, but just by not having them present. Yes. Nice. So that's cool. That's really cool. Um, So they did all these tests to make sure this would work, and it did. And so then they began the trials. (laughs) I said... (laughs) Let the games begin. (laughs) So they had originally just eight people wear the nylons and did uh, these tests to see which people were more attractive to mosquitoes and which ones were less attractive. Mm -hmm. 
And then they found those people who were consistently more attractive and they pitted them all against each other to see if they consistently, one was outperforming everyone, you know, there's a, all these graphs, all these statistics that I'm sure the visuals were really fun to make, um, where they're showing how they were all competing, you know, like, yeah. oh, these two compared and these two compared and these two compared and the two that were the same, how they compared to each other to make sure the mosquitoes weren't going, you know, to right. one over the other, all this stuff. Yeah. Lots of graphs, lots of statistics. This was a dense paper. <laughs> I was like, wow, they did so much work for this one paper. <laughs> okay. So here's your chemistry lesson. We have the molecules with different properties. We know organic molecules are present on our skin, the volatile organic compounds. We also know from previous work that, and we mentioned this in one of the episodes uh, that we did before on mosquitoes. I think it was the very first one, maybe the second one, uh, why mosquitoes bite some people more than others, mm-hmm. that, that one of the volatile organic molecules was lactic acid. Oh, yeah. And lactic acid has a functional group that is called a carboxylic acid. Okay. We talked about that all the way back then. But for those of you who maybe haven't listened to that episode, a carboxylic acid is a functional group. And a functional group is just this arrangement of atoms in a specific order that consistently interacts with other atoms in the same way. Okay. So um, if you're in an organic chemistry class, one of the very first things you do is learn these different functional groups and you have to memorize them. So, mm-hmm. or you have to submit them in your brain somehow that this is what a carboxylic acid looks like. This is what an amine looks like so that you can recognize these functional groups and how they'll likely interact with other atoms or other molecules when they are placed in a specific environment. Right. So carboxylic acids was something that we already knew were likely a part of the volatile organic compounds that made up the odor of our skin that mosquitoes were attracted to based on previous studies. Okay. So they were looking for what possibly could be on the skin and they sort of specifically honed in on the carboxylic acids because they knew that was going to be probably important. Right. So then what they did was, (laughs) this is amazing to me. So they took the order of the odors of the, the nylon and they made, they said they made a preparation. So they sort of went through some steps to make it easier to identify the molecules. Basically. I think that's getting too in the weeds of the study, but they took the um, essence of these people (laughs) (laughs) and they did what's called chromatography. They did gas chromatography. So while it was still in the odorous phase, they did a chromatography experiment. We've talked about chromatography before also. Uh Uh-huh. My quintessential example is if you've ever done that experiment where you like take a black marker and you put it on a coffee filter and then dip that in water and let the water travel up, the colors will separate out. Right. So organic molecules do the same thing based on their different properties. If you have a bunch of organic molecules in the same place, you can separate them out Mm. based on their properties. So you do the exact same thing you do with that coffee filter. And you can figure out all the different molecules that are present. Yeah. And sometimes they'll pair those chromatography experiments with um, something else that can give you more information about the molecule. So we have a gas chromatographer instrument that's separating out our molecules. And oftentimes they'll put at the quote unquote end of that another instrument that will give us more information. Uh Uh-huh. So in this case, they put a mass spectrometer and what a mass spectrometer does is look at the mass of the molecule and different fragments, like it'll kind of break it up and look at all the different fragments. And you can interpret that data to get a good guess of what molecule likely you have there in that fragment. Okay. So essentially they took the odor of the people, they prepared it to put in the gas chromatographer. They injected it into the gas chromatographer. The gas chromatographer separated all the molecules out. And then at the end, the mass spectrometer looked at each of those molecules and tried to identify what they likely were. Okay. It's very complicated, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the scientists also have to look at it and make their best guess about what it would be like with all the information they have. Okay. So mass spectrometry is uh, very complicated. That was when I knew people who did it and I was always so impressed that they did that (laughs) for their research because you just have to be really good at interpreting the data. And yeah, it's, it's like a very, I admire that a lot. 
Yeah, it sounds very hard. I mean, it all sounds hard to me, but <laughs> it definitely sounds really complicated. Yes. Well, it, it feels complicated to me. I bet people who do it are like, no, it's so simple. And they could explain it the way I explain organic chemistry things, you know. Right. So basically what they did is they found, they took these odors of humans and they compared the ones that were from the people who were more attractive to mosquitoes and less attractive to mosquitoes. Altogether, they found 161 molecules present in the odors. Uh-huh. But when they they eliminated the ones that were present in the more more attractive versus less attractive groups. They found a list of 13 molecules that seemed to be more present in the high attractive group than the low attractive group. Interesting. And then because of the way the gas chromatography worked and the way that they used the mass spectrometer, they were only able to identify three of those. Okay. They were looking specifically at the carboxylic acids So they were able to identify three different carboxylic acid molecules that were present in the high attractor group versus the low attractor group. Okay. So they have now been able to narrow down and say, okay, these people have 13 molecules present in a higher abundance or maybe the other group doesn't have them at all than these low attractor groups. Mm Mm-hmm. So there are literally molecules in our skin or on our skin that become volatile organic compounds that are our odors that are present consistently in people who are more attractive to mosquitoes. Wow. Yeah. Dang. And it's all about the acids. Wow. Not the base. Not about that base. Not about that base, sadly. So isn't that cool? That is crazy. So that's your little chemistry lesson is the background of the chromatography, the functional groups, what they're looking at. Okay. And they find these three molecules that they were able to identify. The other 10 are very likely in the same family of molecules. Uh And they weren't able to, you know, for sure identify them based on the experiment. Okay. So 13 molecules that are present on the people who are high attractive versus low attractive. Interesting. But then they wanted to make sure that was right. Yeah. So then they did another trial where they compared people round robin style uh-huh. and they found the same findings. And that one, I think, had closer to like 50 different participants. Got it. Got it. The other thing they found is the people who are high attractor in the initial study stayed high attractor and the people who are low attractors stayed low attractors. So it seems uh. to indicate that... If you are more attractive to mosquitoes, barring some life event, you know, more or less attractive to mosquitoes, that's likely consistently true throughout your life or stays steadily true. Interesting. Unless you're, you know, maybe you're drinking alcohol, you become more attractive. Maybe you get pregnant, you become more attractive, something like that. Right. I'm sure they're controlling for those things. In in, this case, yes. In this case, yeah. The, um, so they did some work to be able to get rid of the humans for a while by Mm -hmm. like, you know making sure that the odors from skin transferred to the nylons. Right. They could do a bunch of tests. Mm-hmm. They found what they found with the um, chromatography in the mass spectrometer. Yes. Which of these compounds, which of these molecules seem to be affecting this stuff? And then right. brought the same humans back in. They brought the same humans plus more and had them more. wear the nylons. Okay. So that they could see what we found in our nylons only no humans testing basically no humans present testing right end up still being consistent when we bring humans back in and see who the mosquitoes go toward so not quite they still did the nylon test with a larger group of people because you can imagine how hard it would be to have like 50 humans trying to do trials all the time with them how hard that'd be to schedule so they had they brought their people back in that they did originally and more people is what i understood Uh uh-huh it's kind of scary to summarize someone else's work Because I didn't do it. This is what I understood from the paper. Right. So they brought the original people in plus more, had them wear nylons again, did the testing again, and they found similar results Uh in their their analysis of the odor. Okay. Of the high attractor people had these compounds that the low attractor people didn't have. Yeah. But they also found that their original people kind of kept their positions of high attractor versus low attractor. Okay. So they found that there are, there was a consistency in those people's 
quote unquote attractiveness to mosquitoes. Right. So they brought the people back and had them wear the nylons again and then did the same style of testing without the humans there to make sure that their findings were consistent. Sort of like, this is what we found. Now we're going to bring a bigger study and see, or a bigger group and see if that still holds true. Right, right. Just to like confirm what they found and make sure it's not just those few people that it, it holds true even for a larger group of people. Okay, cool. So that was how they did the study. And so that's what they found. But uh-huh. I want to make sure that we talk about the correlation does not imply causation. Okay. So we know that these acids are more present on the skin of people who seem to be higher attractive to, molly, to mosquitoes. Uh-huh. So there are people who are high attractive to mosquitoes. So if you're one of those people, you probably have some of these molecules. Yeah. And you and I, Jan, probably have less of them or right. very few of them. Right. But there could be other factors at play in why those people are more attractive than others. Maybe those molecules show up for some third reason that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to say like, because you have more of these, you are more attracted to mosquitoes. We don't know that for sure. Right. The other thing is it's possible that um, there may be some molecules present in our skin that's naturally repelling. Right. And that's a lot more difficult to test. What if do we have something that's present that's repelling? Right. We don't know. So that's hard to test. And it's really hard to recreate human odor because it's so complicated. I mean, they found 161 molecules present on these people's odor. Right. So it's difficult to mimic that without using this kind of study. Yeah. Yeah. So. That, I thought that was really interesting. And they even wrote about that. So in many papers, there'll be a section that they call limitations. Like, what are the limitations of this study? And in the limitations, they said it really is difficult to know if this is why they're high attracting or if there's something else going on. But it seems to have a really high correlation. Mm-hmm. And also, it's difficult to know if there's, if there's something that's causing us to repel that other people don't have. Yeah, You can't mimic that synthetically it's really complicated so we can't draw definitive conclusions but i was really excited because this means that there's fresh evidence that there is something that consistently makes people more attractive to mosquitoes or consistently correlates with people being more attractive to mosquitoes than being less attractive and right knowing that we might be able to utilize that knowledge to develop new ways of repelling mosquitoes right right is there something that could neutralize those odors or if there's something we can, you know, we could yeah. do to help with that specific finding, maybe there'll be new ways to repel mosquitoes. Yeah. Wow. So I love this study. I know it's a little bit different than what we normally do, but I loved being able to share everything that goes into a research study and being able to share, you know, sort of we're on the journey with scientists as they're discovering things. Like we've been on this mosquito journey all along. And this is a really big deal in the scientific community that not only have they like confirmed this consistency of attraction, but also there appears to be a class of molecules that's more highly present on some people's skin than others or in some people's odors than others. And those people are the ones who are consistently more attractive to mosquitoes. Yeah. Yeah. That is a big deal. That's like, the kind of thing you could see them, someone, I mean, just me not knowing the first thing about how you'd even approach trying to figure this out. Yeah. I could see trying for a long time to see if I can prove something and coming up with nothing. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, I did a bunch of stuff and mm-hmm. I still can't find some consistency. That's different between these groups. Yep. Right. Yeah. Or is it this person's different today and then, you know, one way or tomorrow. Right. Like and that. that's what I was worried about. And it does seem like they bring, that's why they brought their original people back in. Yeah is so that they can they could see, okay, was this sort of like a one-off situation? But we'll bring the original people back into the final study. Yeah. And we'll bring new people who who we don't know about for sure. So we'll see if this is consistent a, a, amongst a larger group. Is this, what they call that, is generalizable? Uh-huh. Are these findings generalizable? Do, they, do these apply only to these six people that are, or eight people in this original study that are human beings who had these odors on this day? Or can we broaden this out and say, these people are consistently having this. And when we look at even more people, they're having this too. Right, right. 
So it's a big deal. Yeah, seriously. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> so I don't know how you want to try to explain that one back to me because it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah. And I just summarized a whole three years of research in, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah. But <laughs> whatever your thoughts are on how to sort of give a quick review, I'd love to hear it. Okay. So here's my thought. Okay. I immediately thought about the fact that this has come up a bunch as I've just been a human living out in the world in yeah. conversation. Lots of these topics that, we, that you pick to like for us to delve into do that anyway, because that's the whole point <laughs> to pick <laughs> everyday life topics. But this one comes up so much and I feel like there's a bunch of, it's one of the several that I find myself having to try to recap people in real life. Yes. Sometimes I'd be like, just go listen to the episode, dude. But you can tell <laughs> like, okay, are they really going to? Maybe I'll give them the five minute version real quick. <laughs> so here's my thought. What if I try to give the pedestrian walking around trying to correct yes. someone's thinking or at least tell them about this new research? Yeah. Real quickly in a bite-sized way that just gives them what they need to know that they can comprehend for a second before they tune me out because they're like, why are you talking my ear off? Yes. Why are you penalizing me because I thought that it was my blood type? <laughs> Just know? a quick, I call that the elevator pitch. Nice. Like I give an elevator pitch of my research. What could I tell you about my research in the time we're on the elevator? Yeah. So, so I think I'd start by just saying it's been known for a long time that there are several factors mm -hmm. that attract mosquitoes to humans in the first place. Yes. And any of those could maybe vary from person to person. Yes. But there's a new study. They specifically honed in on the odors on our mm -hmm. skin, trying to figure out if there's differences from human to human yes. that could attract mosquitoes more or less. And if those differences between human to human wouldn't just be like in one specific situation, but consistent over time. Yes. With that specific human... And this new study was basically able to find that there are some specific um, molecules, yep. specific acids mm -hmm. in the odor of our skin, in the complex makeup of lots of different things in our yeah. in the odors of our skin. There were three things, right? Three? Well, it was 13, but they could oh. only name for sure three. They, right. they think that there are probably others. Right. That are very similar, like um, they have suspicions about what they are, but I didn't want to get into that. Yeah. So several, three they can name, but quite a few that seem to attract mosquitoes more. Yes. That are present in some people's skin odors mm -hmm. that are not present or at least maybe less so in mm -hmm. other people's skin odor. Yes. And they're able to do it and confirm it a few different ways and also find that those the kind of makeup of people's skin odor does seem to stay similar yes. across time. And I forgot to say, um, I went back and, and reviewed something real quick and I realized not only did they bring the original people back into the new round robin, but the new round robin, like the 50 or 60 people that they had, they submitted their skin odors multiple times, like several times spread a week apart. Got it. So got it. they consistently saw that the high attractors were high attractors and the low attractors were low attractors. So it does seem consistent. So the, the fact that we've consistently experienced other people getting bitten more than us, yes, yep. that's anecdotal, but this study backs that up. Yeah, backs up that it is possible for any of us to have consistent level of attractiveness to mosquitoes right. across our, our life or whatever. Yes. And then I would... So I'm still talking to some person who has given me the time of day. And <laughs> so then what I would say too, because this is like the highlight of the whole thing, not just scientists discovered a cool thing or whatever, but it could be used as con research continues to figure out new approaches to repelling mosquitoes yes. or neutralizing certain odors to make all people, especially the people who have a high presence of those odors, be less attractive to mosquitoes than they currently are. Yep. And it could really just inform a bunch of stuff going forward. Yes. And it's one important building block in the ever continuing fight against mosquitoes. Right. It's <laughs> fun. I just think it's fun that like we've gotten to see the buildings, building blocks grow. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's really very cool. So the reason I thought about approaching it that way is because I was thinking like 
it, on the chemistry lesson side, the chromatography and mask spectroscopy, obviously important chemistry lessons, but things that one, I get less confident about explaining the further right. away from the lesson we get. Yeah. And two, that the average person I'm talking to about it, same with you, I'm sure. Right. Is like, that's the stuff that is a lot to figure out. Yes. And if you try to give them the couple minute version. Yes. Easy to skip it and just say, sciences did important things that is <laughs> <laughs> that helped them figure this out. Yes. Yeah. Another thing you'll take with you is the scientific process behind this. So that was kind of more of why I wanted to do this study. I also, of course, love the opportunity to talk about chemistry and these are molecules. And so it's all chemistry, but we haven't talked a lot about literally how does science happen. And so this seemed like a good opportunity connected to something a lot of people care about that we've talked about before that we get a new update. I mean, this literally just came out in the, I think it was October of 2022. Let's see. Yes. October 18th, 2022 is when, the wow. chemistry and engineering news did an article on it and nature did an, an article on it. And actually even the article itself was published in October of 2022. So this is like hot off the press, yeah, seriously. new information that we're getting while we've been on this saga for how mosquitoes like some people more than wow. others. Dang. Very exciting. Seriously. Yeah. That's it's weird because obviously there's a lot of things that you've referenced that are relatively recent. And even sometimes it's like, oh, this is this study's like maybe 10 years old, but there's nothing right. new newer that has a different take. Yeah. So it's like this is still accepted. Like yes. this is still the most recent good stuff about this or whatever. But this is last month. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> I'm very excited. And I, I was really excited when I found that this person had a Twitter so that we could, and she has a whole thread where she talked about her experience doing the study. So you can also go read it directly from her, the scientist who can, conducted the study from her view as well. Nice. Nice. So that was fun. And speaking of fun things, Jam, do you have anything fun that you want to share about this that happened to you in the last week or so? I do. I, um, well, sorry knows about this, but I had the fun opportunity to officiate a wedding of a friend of ours. Oh, yeah. Who's also an avid Chemistry for Your Life listener. Who designed the Kim Heads. Mm -hmm. He designed the Kim Heads and designed our exclusive um, tier two and three patron sticker. Yeah. Oh, that we're going to mail out soon. Mm -hmm. So anyway, his, he's really cool. He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for, I think, almost like nine years or something It's like been that. a long time. Yeah. So that was really a fun experience. It was great to get to hang out with him and I'm happy for them. And I'm obviously just was honored to, to be a little bit of a part of it. Um, and, and when I got to go together, which was fun, I can't, I don't think we've been able to go to a wedding together in maybe like a year. Yeah. Like that. So, uh, anyway, that's my thing. Well, that's so exciting. He's so nice. So I'm really glad he is doing something that's making him happy. And also that you got to be a part of it because uh, you did a great job officiating my wedding. So, <laughs> yeah, he joined the ranks of somewhat chemistry for your life connected yeah. wedding officiating going yes. on, which is a very niche group. <laughs> yeah. A ne very niche group for sure. <laughs> Too bad he didn't also get married on the same anniversary that you and I share. Yep. That's true. I wonder, that's do true. people know that, that we share, we have the same wedding anniversary? I wonder if you mentioned that or not, but yeah. So it's, yeah, <laughs> you guys got married, I guess, what was that? Seven years after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Several years after. But the same day. Yeah. Well, my fun thing is totally different. I um, got to go visit where I work now. I'm a postdoc, but I work remotely. So I got to go to Auburn. Nice. And it was so beautiful. There were so many trees. And it was really special to get to connect with the people I work with in that way. Yeah. I mean, I love working remotely. I think that's definitely the best thing for me and my family. And I think there's definitely a trend of people who don't have to do in-person work like for instrumentation or something specific like that. There's a trend that those people should be able to do their postdoc remotely because many people who have their PhDs are starting families who yep. like are just finishing. They're starting families. Yeah. They're married. Their partner has a position. Their partner's still in grad school. I mean, there's so many situations where it does not make sense to move your family for a one to two year position. Right, right. Yeah. But not everybody has that opportunity, but I'm really thankful that my boss allowed me to do that. He's so, he's really understanding of it because he was in a similar situation as well. But uh -huh. 
Um, it wasn't, it's just different to get to, you know, share meals and to be able to turn around and ask a question in the lab and it, yeah. you just connect in a different way. And so that was really special. Yeah. And, um, I got to one of my, the grad students that works with me, one of my coworkers, she, um, made me food from Ghana cause that's where she's from. Uh-huh. And then another, one of the grad students is from China. And so we went out to have Chinese food together and then she sent me home with a bunch of hot pot because I love hot pot. So all these <laughs> spices to make the soup. So I'm really excited. We need to buy one of those little like hot pot oh, yeah. plates, you know? Uh-huh. So I'm really excited to um, get to do that. But it's, I love sharing food with people because it feels like just a way to connect, you know? Yes. Yes. So it was a really great time. I really enjoyed it. And I think it really helps in like the ease of workflow and connecting with people. So yeah. Awesome. And it was folly there. It wasn't when I first got there, but when I left, the trees had started to turn. Everyone who lived there was like, oh, yeah, we don't get fall. But the stark difference <laughs> between there and here, when I landed here and drove home, there was no fall trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so even now, most of what I'm seeing outside of Jam's window is green. Yeah, that's true. Very so true. it was nice. It was a good trip. That's awesome. Very cool. So thanks to my boss for letting me do that. Uh, that was a really special trip. Thanks also to Mr. Hollis for suggesting this episode and to the team of people who conducted this research at the Vassal Lab. And thanks to Jam and to all of our listeners for coming and learning about this most recent research about mosquitoes. And thank you, Melissa, for teaching us, for diving into this new paper that Mr. Hollis sent us and for helping explain it so we can understand it. Melissa and I have a lot of ideas for topics of chemistry in everyday life, but we want to hear from you. So if you have questions or ideas, you can reach out to us on our new website at chemforyourlife.com. That's chemforyourlife.com to share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, you can go to patreon.com slash chemforyourlife or tap the link in our show notes to join our super cool community of patrons. If you aren't able to do that, you can help us by subscribing on your favorite podcast app, and rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us to share chemistry with even more people. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. Jam Robinson is our producer, and this episode was made possible by our financial supporters over on Patreon. It means so much to us that you want to help make chemistry accessible to even more people. Those supporters are Nicole C., Timothy P., Bree M., Chris and Claire S., Hunter R., Stephen B, Avishai B, Chelsea B, Christina G, Emerson W, Shadow, Brian K, Suzanne S, and Jacob T. Thanks again for everything you do to make Chemistry for Your Life happen. We'd also like to give a special thanks to A. Kalini, who reviewed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's chemistry lesson, check out the references for this episode in our show notes or on our website. Mm-hmm.